Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. As I told you, Pastor Terry got us going uh, in this series that we're going to continue through uh, April and May. And before, I think mid-March is when we kind of laid this out before Easter and started looking at this series. And so I kind of knew before I left that I was going to be speaking on the topic today of a, a personal God who protects. And... I, I had a nice little kind of sweet outline that I left here with that I really thought was I was going to, to kind of get to walk through and um, you know we were going to talk about how this book uh, the teachings of Jesus in this book, the, the commands of the Lord will provide great pathways of protection for all who follow them and I believe that but that's not what the message is going to be on today. Um, it's going to be just a, a little bit different kind of approach. And part of the reason is, is twofold. One, uh, when you go to Germany and you spend time visiting some of the old cathedrals, you're, you come face to face with the history of our faith in so many ways as Protestants. And there was still much going on about the Reformation. And uh, I did a lot of thinking and some reading about uh, those who sacrifice so much so that we could worship God so that we could have access to his word you know ourselves personally that we could know him intimately that we didn't need somebody to go between us and the Lord uh, just great sacrifice that people made and suffering they endured uh, I thought about that I also made the, the the mistake of downloading a book uh, before we went that I was started reading on the plane and it was a biography of one of my heroes that many of you have heard me talk about over the years uh, he's been a distant mentor in my life he's gone on to be with the Lord now but his name is Dallas Willard and Dr. Willard has done some of the best writing and thinking uh, in, in my lifetime that I know of about what it means to be a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ and I read his biography I had no idea the suffering that this man endured that he went through um, but God used that to form him into the beautiful servant of the Lord that I knew. And so taking all of that into what God was doing in my life about bringing this message on protection, I had to scrap my sweet little outline and kind of start over. And so you're kind of going to get the end, end result of that a little bit today. Uh, I need to say out of the gate, however, a couple of things that uh, I want to make sure you hear me say and some things you don't hear me say. First of all, I, I want to make sure you hear me say is I believe in the miraculous intervention of God to protect his children. I believe that the Bible is filled with personal testimony of that miraculous intervention. I believe at times God suspends the natural order in order to accomplish those things. They're called miracles. Uh, he created them. He can, he can put them on pause like the laws of physics when he needs to. I believe he does that. I believe that I have been the recipients of some of the miraculous interventions of God to protect me. Some of you have given testimony of that reality in your own life. So I, I believe that God, God does that. Um, I believe that he's given us the testimony of God's word uh, that, that, that speaks to that. And I thought I was going to spend a lot of time on that, but, but I'm not. Uh, this morning what I want us to think about is the protection of God 
seen through the lens of Psalm 91. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them there. Uh, and you may want to pull out your, your listening guide, your worksheet. That may be, be helpful to you. I'm going to ask you to bear with me and, and don't make any snap judgments until we get to the end of the message. Okay? Because I'm going to challenge some things and maybe some thinking even about the protection of God this morning. Now, Psalm 91 is special to me. It is a psalm that I pray. I have prayed it over many of you. Uh, at, at times and, uh, but I, I want us to dive deep into this because I've had some encounters recently with people who misunderstand the protection of God and it has begun to make a shipwreck of their faith and I've seen it happen on more than one occasion. So if you'll, if you'll open your Bibles to, to Psalm 91, we're going to dig in there. Much of the scripture that we'll be using will come up. It's referenced on the back of your worksheet. You can go back and look those passages up later. But Psalms, Psalms 91 starts off in the first four verses making a very clear a statement of God's promise of his protection. Then in the middle verses, and I'm going to call that verses 5 through 14, let's say, there's some, some kind of sweeping statements about God's protection that if you're not careful how you read that and how you use it, I think it can get you in trouble and eventually cause you great pain and maybe some confusion. And then at the end, verses 15 and 16, kind of summarizes and gives us great clarity on how we can live in the protection and under the protection of God, how you actually claim this promise and live in the peace of our Lord. So let's, let's get busy and look. So starting in, in verse 1, I want to read that. But I want you to be captured by what we're going to see. In verses 1 through 4, we're going to see the promise of God's protection. It's going to be clearly put on display. Psalm 91 verse 1. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. And I want to stop there at those two verses for just a second to point out a couple of things. We're told, first of all, that God is a shelter. God is, is, is a shelter. It says that God is a shade. That word shadow can also be translated as shade. Now, in the, the land, the climate, the environment that this scripture was written in, it's a desert place. And shade can be very important in a desert land, in a place where the sun gets scorching hot. Shade can actually be the, the difference between life and death. And so this is very important to grab hold of, that the shade or shadow of God sweeping over us. It goes on to say he's our refuge, he's our fortress. And then in verse 3 it says this, For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions. Some translations translate as, as feathers. And under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Now we see different image after different image after different image describing how God's protection is displayed to us. Now the image that I want to pick up on and run with for just a few moments here is this idea of God covering us with his feathers. That we can run under his wings for refuge. Now the wings of God, that's actually a metaphor that's used over
over and over again in Scripture. And it can, it can picture a bird protecting their young. And most of the time I think we think of that as a female. I, I was corrected after the first service and, and somebody told me who is more, you know, they're much more uh, an expert on fowl than I am. That, uh, that oftentimes the male birds do this too. But that is, I think of this as a kind of a feminine uh, demonstration of who God is uh, in this. But this spreading of wings oftentimes in the scriptures is a display of strength. Oftentimes that, that you know, the Bible talks about uh, people who wait on the Lord shall do what? They shall mount up with wings like eagles. That's a display of strength. Sometimes uh, we see this, but we also see it talking about the tenderness of God here, I believe. And we see those, those two images with just that, that picture, uh, that metaphor. And it's used all throughout the Bible. In the book of Ruth, chapter 2, Boaz says to Ruth, he says this, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you've done. This idea of falling under the wings of God, his protection, the refuge of God. Psalms 36 says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Again in Psalm 57 Oh God be merciful to me for in you my soul takes refuge in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. In Psalm 61 once again let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Over and over again there is this imagery of God have, spreading out his wings to protect those he loves. To protect from the elements the predators and so on. Now again the vast majority of metaphors and imagery that's used of God in the scriptures normally has a masculine tendency to it. Kind of overwhelmingly masculine. God is father. God, God is king. But occasionally this, this imagery is used and I, I think it's so that we're, we don't think of God as disconnected. Sometimes men I, I are one so I'll pick on us for a minute. Sometimes we can be a little disconnected emotionally. And I think that part of this is a description that lets us know that God is not he does not disconnect. He's very near. His protection is very near over us. But who is this, who's this promise for? Verse 2 gives us some good indication of who this promise of protection is for. It, it says this. It says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress. Now pick this up. My God in whom I trust. If you circle things in your Bible, you may want to circle that phrase, my God. That, that's, that's covenant language. That's the language of covenant. You know, in the scriptures, God says, you will be my people. And if you will, I will be your God. It's this idea of covenant. So when the writer of the Psalms here says, my God in whom I trust, he's saying, I have a covenant relationship with God. And that's a question we all need to ask ourselves. Do we have a covenant relationship with God? Because if we don't, then the protection of God is not afforded us. And the only way the Bible tells us that we're able to have a covenant relationship with God is through his son Jesus Christ. Through a personal relationship with Jesus. So what we're, what we're thinking about is the protection of God that comes in covenant relationship. But what does that protection mean? How, how does that come to us? Now, as we step into a description in verses 5 uh, through 14, here's something that I need for us to be aware of, and I think we need to do this. We need to give thoughtful application of a protected life. We need to be really careful when we look to Scripture, we need to give thoughtful application of what it means to be protected by God. Because the middle part of this psalm starts using some language that is really fascinating. And again, 
Hold your judgment till we get to the end here, okay? Because I want you to see some pictures. Um, what it, it seems to say in verses uh, 5 and following that if you're in a relationship with God, that God's protection, that there, you'll never experience terror at night. Verse 5 says that. Or the arrows that fly by day. And it says in verse 7, thousands may fall by your side, tens of thousands by your right hand. But it'll never come near your tent. And what that seems to be saying is that if you're trusting in God, you'll never experience violence. And what about disease? It goes on in verse 6 to say, uh, the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. You don't need to fear that. Nor the plague that wastes at noonday. Then in verse 10 it says, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. So when we're reading this, it sounds like this is, you know, if we're trusting in God, there's no harm, there's no disaster, there's no violence, no sickness. And then we get to verse 12 and it says this, God will command his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will carry you in their arms and you won't hurt your feet on the stone. You'll never stub your toe. Anybody ever stub their toe? You know? Do you not trust God? I mean, that's, there's kind of that language in there if you, if, you, if you don't deal with this thoroughly. If you just kind of cursory read the scriptures sometimes, it can get you into deep trouble. You know, there is this thought that, you know, if I just trust God, my life will be peachy keen, hunky-dory, okie-dokie. It'll just run really super smooth. There, there's, there's some thinking like that out there in this world. And that implies the opposite. If, if your life isn't going smoothly, if you are having some suffering or some pain or you're experiencing sickness, then you must not be trusting God. You must be outside of the will of God. You must, you know, something's amiss in your, in your life with God. That's, that's kind of the implication that you have to read into that understanding. So how, how are we supposed to understand God's word, especially here, about how God protects his own. Well, I want to suggest a couple of things, some, some reasons why we must have thoughtful application on this particular issue. And the first reason is this, our own personal desperation. Most of us desperately want that hunky-dory, okie-dokie, peachy-keen life from God. That's what we want. We long for it. Just admit it. We want a life free of any, any struggle. We want a life free of any, any worry. We, we, you know, we don't want any pain or suffering to come. In. That's the kind of life we want. We, we desperately want that. So many of us try to build our lives to be protected from the pains of this world. And I want to say something to you. When you desperately want something and you come across it in Scripture, be careful how you interpret it. Because sometimes Satan will use that against you. Sometimes he will. Second re reason we need thoughtful application here is because there is something called the whole counsel of the Word of God. The whole counsel of Scripture. For instance, there is a book, another book in the Old Testament, called the Book of Job. And the Book of Job, quite frankly, is a biography. And if you've, if you've never read it, here's the way that I would encourage you to read it for the very first time. Find an easy to read translation. Plan to sit and read it all. I think there's about 43, 44 chapters. I don't know how many chapters there are, but somewhere in the 40s, I think, and in the book of Job. And plan to sit and, wonder, and read it all and read it as a biography, as a, as a real life story. 
Because if you do, one of the things you're going to discover is Job experiences a lot of the middle of Psalms 91. He personally experiences disaster. He's overtaken by violence. Disease and pestilence fill his life. A lot of things happen to Job that depending on how you interpret Psalms 91's middle section, you would have to conclude that Job doesn't have a relationship with God. His relationship must be off. And so Job has, I hate to call them his friends, but that's the way they're referred to. Job has friends that show up and remind him. They, they have Psalms 91 figured out. And they know that the reason Job is experiencing all this tragedy in his life is because he's not walking right with God. He's a miss. His, his spiritual life is off. And so they start, really most of the book of Job is this kind of discussion back and forth between them and Job. And Job keep, continues to tell them, it's not true. I, I have been faithful to God. I have been right with God. I have, not, I have not turned my back on God. Finally, you get to chapter 40 and God himself shows up. And the Bible tells us he shows up in a windstorm. Uh, and in some ways it means he's furious. And he says a few things to Job and then he turns to Job's friends and he gets up in their grill and he gives them what for. In, in, in Job chapter 42 verse 7, this is what he says to the friends. I am angry with you. I'm angry with you because you did not speak the truth about me the way that Job did. See, they're, they're looking at God and saying, well, God is the kind of God who protects. And so if he's not protecting you from the pestilence and the, the disease, then something's wrong with you because that's who God is. God shows up and says, you don't know me at all, dudes. You don't have a clue who I, Job knows who I am. You don't understand my protection whatsoever. We need a clear understanding of the scripture's teaching on the protection of God. It will destroy us. It will make shipwreck of our faith. A third reason for thoughtful application on this topic of the protection of God, especially when it comes to Psalms 91, is because of the schemes of Satan. The schemes of Satan. Satan wants us to read this book in a very shallow, thoughtless way. That's it. He just wants us to read it thoughtlessly. Doesn't want us to meditate on it. Doesn't want us to think about it. That's the way the devil wants us to read it. Did you know that there is a place in the scriptures where Satan quotes scripture? Do you know that? Do you know who he quotes it to? He quotes it to Jesus. Do you know what verse he quotes? Psalm 91. He takes from Psalm 91, the Bible tells us in, in Luke chapter 4 that the Spirit of God drives Jesus out into the wilderness. This is right after his baptism. Heard the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son. He drives him out into the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, Satan comes and tempts Jesus. And one of the temptations, he takes Jesus from the desert into Jerusalem to the top pinnacle of the temple. And he tells Jesus, jump. Jump. Because then the crowds that are gathered around will just worship you. It'll be great. This is what you're here for anyway, isn't it? And then he quotes scripture. And he tells them this passage from Psalms. It's in verses 10 and 11 of, of, of Luke. He says, it's written. 
God will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. I love the way the message translates. They'll catch you. You won't so much as even uh, stub your toe on a stone. That's kind of the image. Basically what Satan is saying to Jesus, look, if you ever experience any pain, God is not a promise keeper. If you ever experience any suffering, God has said he will protect you. You won't even stub your toe. That's kind of what the language that's being... And, and he's tempting Jesus with this scripture, trying to derail Jesus from his mission. And he'll do that to you. He will seek to derail, to shipwreck your faith by confusing you on what it means to be protected by God. And you'll miss the power and the beauty of, of really what God is trying to get across here. I believe that there is something so beautiful and so rich and powerful in Psalm 91, a message about the protection of God, that Satan will even try to distort Jesus' thinking about it. And if he'll do that to Jesus, how much more do you think he'll try to do that to you? So how do we read this? How do we, how do we read it deeply and thoughtfully and what I would call correctly? I could have chosen some others to help us think about this, but I, I want to use another kind of biography from the scriptures. It's the biography of Joseph. And you can read about Joseph's life in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. Um, again, I would encourage you to read that biographically. Joseph's story kind of starts actually with his daddy, Jacob, and his brothers. And Jacob has a bunch of kids, a bunch of boys. And, uh, and then he has, has Joseph. But because, how do I say this? Because Jacob has some real intense family of origin issues, okay, uh, like, like I've got, some real intense family of origin issues, he struggles as a dad. And he begins to show favor, not just a little bit of favor, but unbelievable favor to his son Joseph. And it poisons his family. And it poisons the hearts of his other son. I mean, this is just visible, outright favor. You know, I love this kid more than I love the others. And it creates something in the hearts, not just of the brothers, but in the heart of Joseph. And he begins being raised thinking he's entitled and he begins being raised, becoming kind of arrogant and quite frankly kind of cruel. And even in his dreams he sees himself lifted up above everybody else and everybody bowing down to him. And he, then he makes the mistake of telling his brothers that. He's just kind of cruel with this. Now as the story progresses, his brothers get so angry that they plot to kill him. They have murderous thoughts in their heart. One of the brothers comes to his rescue and, and just sells him into slavery. And they tell his dad that he's been killed. So Joseph's now enslaved and he's taken off to Egypt, but not long. He's falsely accused and he's thrown into prison. So he's gone from slavery into prison now. And you can just imagine these points in Joseph's life that he would cry out to God for not just years but decades. This seems to be the span of time. For, for decades, he'd just cry out to God and year after year, decade after decade, he's not hearing a peep from God. He's not seeing God come to rescue him. But now here's the spoiler alert to this story, okay? By the time we get to the end of the story, we see this. We see if all that disaster hadn't happened, 
If all of that violence hadn't come into Joseph's life, if all those bad things had not kind of been a part of his experience, Joseph would have never become the man that he became. He would never have reached the position of authority, the, the position of prominence, the position of power. He would never have become this man of integrity that we see him becoming. His brothers also probably would have never become the men that they became. They probably would have eventually ended up being murderers and dealing with the psychological outfall of that the rest of their days. And not only that, at the end of the story, we see had Joseph not gone through all of this and reached that position of power, the people of God would have been destroyed completely because of a famine. And probably the nation of Egypt as well. But because Joseph was protected by God, even through all the difficulty... He was protected from becoming, you know, this arrogant man. From, he, he, he was protected in such a way that his brother's lives were transformed and the nations were protected. All of this protection was from God in the middle of his suffering. God's protection was going on. Now I want to give you three biblical passages to help us think about what this looks like. The first one is from Genesis chapter 50. It's verse 20. And in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 at the conclusion of kind of his life story Joseph says this to his brothers. He says even though you planned evil against me God planned good to come out of it. This was to keep people alive and he is he's doing it now. The, the, Joseph is saying, I, I, need, I see what took place. I know my suffering. I know what I went through. But I know that God was in it now with me. There's another passage that I think elaborates on this passage from Genesis even more fully. And it's in Romans chapter 8. Many of you are familiar with it. It's Romans 8 verse 28. Lots of people quote this verse. I want you to listen to it. It says, and we know... That God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. It's a very quoted passage of scripture. Unfortunately, I'm afraid it's very often misunderstood. Because it's saying that all things work together. And that word together is a little word, but it's very, very important. And there, there's nothing... There's nothing, what I would say, Pollyannish about Romans 8.28. You know, this is not, there's nothing superficial. This verse is not saying, well now, all those bad things that happen, there's just a, a silver lining cloud in there somewhere. God's word never deals with bad things that way. God's word always calls evil, evil. It always calls injustice, injustice. You know, it doesn't say, well, look at the good things behind. It doesn't do that. It says bad things are bad things. Horrible things are horrible things. Violence is violence. War is war. Sickness is sickness. Disease is disease. But see, here's the other thing that the scriptures tell us. God never intended for those. God never intended for that to be a part of his creation. He didn't create it. That's the outflow of our choosing sin. Of mankind choosing sin. God didn't create the world that way. All of that is the outcome of sin entering the world. But Romans 8.28 says that God somehow is applying his power to all of those things. All of that suffering so that one day we will see his glory displayed. One day from the vantage point of eternity we will see that every bad thing that happened to us. That God was with us in it. 
bringing about his glory and our good. And eventually we will see how he will defeat evil and how every bad thing that ever happened on this planet, God was taking and working together for his great glory and for the good of all of humanity, all of those who are in relationship with him. A third scripture that I want to give you that explains some of this is a little less well known and just give me a minute to unpack it. It's found in Luke chapter 21. And in the context, Jesus is talking to his disciples, those people that had followed him, that had forsaken pretty much everything, left everything to follow Jesus. These are men that he loved. And it's the close of his ministry and he begins telling them this. He says this, you will be betrayed. Even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends they will put some of you to death you will be hated by all for my name's sake but not a hair of your head shall be lost by your patience possess your souls now, I believe that in that passage of scripture Jesus is giving us a key to unlock the biblical understanding of God's protection when, when you read it at first it's kind of interesting it says you're going to be killed but your hair will never get messed up. How's that going to happen? How are you going to get killed and your hair don't get messed up? You know? What, what, is, what does that even mean? And then there's this kind of strange language there. And in patience, you will possess your souls. Here's what I think Jesus is pointing out. And we kind of got close to it when we think about Joseph's, Joseph's life and his brothers and, and the nation that was saved. The only way, ultimately, for all of that protection to have come was for what Jesus is saying here is that bad things will happen to you but you will not ultimately perish and if you will be patient you will begin to possess your souls he's giving us this key to understand God's protection and I think this is it I think what God is saying to us through Jesus' teaching to his disciples is simply, is simply this there are some things that are in all of our lives that we put before God all of us have had things and may still be clinging to some things that we put above God that give us greater significance than our relationship with God. Things that we will not forsake. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't believe in God. Doesn't mean that you don't go to church. Doesn't mean that you're not a good person. Doesn't, doesn't mean that you don't believe in Jesus. But what it means is there's still some things in your life that are more important to you than God. And if there is anything that's more important to you than God, then you do not possess your soul. That thing does. And that thing could be a career. Now, a job is a good thing. It's an important thing. We need to do good in our job. But if we're not careful, it can possess us. Our families are a good thing. We need to protect and provide and bless and love our families. But our families can be a thing which can keep us from experiencing the love of God. We should all care about those. But if we're not careful, our families can possess our souls. We won't fully possess our souls. And if that's true, then you'll never have peace. You'll always be worried. You'll always be concerned. You'll, you'll, you'll have kind of a sickness over fear of what might happen to your family. And so, it's through those things that happen bad in those areas of our lives that we're clinging to that God is able to shake us loose and drive us under his wings. Drive us to himself. 
And the moment that that happens, the moment where we shake loose those things that are possessing our souls, those other things, and we put our full trust in God and we run to him for our refuge and our strength in everything, in that moment we experience the protection of God. And as Jesus says, for the first time, we experience an integrated life. We experience the life that we've always longed for. We experience what we hoped would be. We experience peace with God. And, and here's the, what's interesting. That word patience that Jesus uses there is also translated in other places as long-suffering. What Jesus is saying is through the suffering that you go through, you will, you will eventually find the full protection of God. Because God is protecting you sometimes from yourself. He's protecting you from that which you were weak in. He's protecting you from that which you think you need more than him. And he's drawing you to yourself. And it's only when you come to run, run to God for your ultimate protection, will you be fully integrated and you will possess your soul. And God says, in this, I will protect you, the real you. I will protect who I created you to be. I will create, I will protect your soul. I think in this he's saying, there are some other parts of us that need to be peeled off. There are some things that need to be burned away. There are some places in our lives where we need to, as Jesus said, we need to take up our cross and follow him. We need to let those other things go. So here's, here's the big idea today. I didn't put it in your notes. You can write it down if you want to. It's going to come up on the screen. But here's the big idea about the protection of God. We must trust God in trouble in order to become people who can deal with trouble. We must learn to trust God in the midst of trouble in order to become the kind of people who can handle, who can deal with trouble most of us, here's what we want to do. We want to trust God to exempt us from trouble. We, we, we don't want to go through no trouble. And quite frankly, for all of us, that's the worst thing that could happen to us. For God to give us what we want here. It could be the absolute worst. If God had given Joseph what he wanted as an adolescent, could you imagine the havoc that would have been wreaked on his family? Can you just imagine? The horror of what that man would have become. See, we, we need to learn to trust God in the trouble so that we can handle the trouble. And that brings us to the closing two verses of Psalm 91 in which we begin, I believe, to understand how to unlock really the only way to truly live in God's promise of protection. There's only one way to do that. And it's, I, I think we see it in verse 15. God says this to you. He says, when he calls on me, when she calls on me, when you call on him, I will answer him. And I will be with him in trouble. Now listen, if you're still reading those middle section of Psalms 91 as, well, God's not going to let the error hit me. God's not going to let the pestilence get to me. God's not going to let the sickness, you know, come. Then what happens when you get to verse 15 and God's word says, I'm going to be with you in trouble. He doesn't say, I'm going to exempt you from it. He says, I'm going to be with you in it. Those things are going to come, but I'm going to be with you in it. I will be protecting you in the midst of that. Now, here's the really cool thing about verse 15. Is verse 15 is pointing us to something greater. Verse 15 is pointing us to the New Testament. It's pointing us to the gospel. It's pointing us to Jesus. 
That's what verse 15 is doing here. He is saying, I will be with you. I'm not going to be a God who just exempts you from trouble because that's not what's best for you. I'm going to be with you in trouble. I'll, I'll, and sometimes folks think that just means that when God says he'll be with me in trouble that I'll just feel his presence. And you will. And I don't want to diminish that. But there's so much more to it than that. But you don't get it until you get the gospel. The whole measure of the gospel. You know, Christianity is unlike any other world religion. There's not another religious system or world philosophy that makes the claim that Christianity does. Only Christianity claims that the creator God, the infinite creator God of all the universe, who was completely exempt from all trouble, he was all powerful, he became a human being. He made himself vulnerable, was born in a manger. He became a person like you and me who experienced betrayal experienced injustice, experienced wrongdoing. He knew what it was like to be beaten and ridiculed and spat upon. He knew what it was like to die. The only invulnerable one became ultimately vulnerable. The all-powerful one became killable. The immortal became mortal and went to the cross for you and for me. And he says on the cross, I will be with you in trouble. I, I will be with you. Folks, what that tells me is that when, when I face trouble, when I face fear or danger or worry or any kind of suffering, sickness, the first thought that I need to have is not God exempt me from this, but God thank you for the cross. That needs to be where my mind goes first of all. God, thank you in my suffering I can look at the cross. Now, it doesn't mean that I have to sit there and say, boy, I sure do love this suffering. It's not that. It's thank you, God, for the cross because that tells me I'm going to be delivered. I'm going to, you're going to, you're going to be with me in this. That's what it means to be under his wings, under his protection. When Jesus stretched out his arms, he was providing ultimate protection for all who would follow him. Because he knows what it's like to face what you're going through. I don't, I don't care what it is. And that is so very important to cling to. Not, to. not to think all I'm going to do is get exempt from this. See, the beauty of, of the psalm, of Psalm 91, getting us to the gospel is this. It's not just about the incarnation and him coming to, you know, live like us and suffer like us and die like us and die for us. But it's, it's not just the, the, the incarnation, it's also the substitution. The beauty of Psalm 91 is this, is that Jesus substituted himself for us. There's the beauty of the grace of salvation in Psalm 91, the covering that comes, the protection that Jesus provides for us. We looked at back um, on Palm Sunday, this passage from Luke 13, where Jesus comes riding into town. And Jesus describes himself as a mother bird. This is what he says in Luke 13 about the people of Jerusalem. He says, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you are not willing. You know, we read that and it sounds kind of sweet and we think, oh, shucks, Jesus is just like a little mother hen. He's just going to take everybody in under his wings. 
Folks, that, that statement from Jesus was in the context of the judgment of God that was coming. That's how Jesus used that statement. It was in the context of pending judgment. Jesus says, if you had really believed in me, if you had made me your shelter, if you had trusted me in the midst of your suffering, you would escape judgment. But that's not going to happen because you didn't trust me. Jesus is saying, judgment would have fallen on me instead of you if you had trusted me. Many of you have heard that story that circulated a while back about some forest rangers who after a fire swept through um, a national forest went into the national forest in this place that had been kind of charred. They were walking through and they saw this just unbelievable sight. And it was a bird with its wings spread out that was charred. I mean literally toasted looking. And one of the, one of the park ranger stories says poked the bird with a stick and it disintegrated and three little birds came running out from under it. Three little birds that life had been spared because of the sacrifice. Because they had been hidden under the body and under the wings of, of this mother bird. Jesus on the cross took the fire of God for you. He took the wrath of God for you. That's why it is so ultimately important for you to understand the gospel. So that when you come face to face with suffering that you are going to face. You'll know that while he hung there. While he was abandoned for you. While he took the wrath of God. While he took the mocking and the jeering and the suffering. In the greatest act of love in all of the history of the world. He stayed there. He was burned up for you so that when you face suffering you would know he has substituted himself for the ultimate suffering that even when you go through suffering in this life you can know that it's refining you that it's making you into something beautiful that it's better to have a God like that than a God who never allows anything bad to happen to you because he's doing something more wonderful see when Jesus Christ who is the only person who ever actually completely trusted in God. I don't trust God all the time. Jesus did. He perfectly trusted God. If anybody had the right to claim, keep me free from pain, keep me free from suffering because I perfectly trust you, it was Jesus. But here's the question. Did God keep his own son from pain? Did he keep his own son from suffering? No, he didn't. Because he had something more glorious in mind. Your salvation. He had something more glorious in mind. The wholeness of your soul being integrated with you. Being able through the, the difficulty, through the pain and suffering, bringing you back under his protection. And that's not just something abstract. It's not just something that you say, yes, I know I need to love God more. It's not like that. It's knowing that when you face difficulty, you can look at Jesus and know what he did for you. He took the judgment for you. He was burned up for you so that you can say, Lord Jesus, if you can suffer like that for me, then I can be patient 
in the suffering that you're taking me through because you're with me. I trust you that you're with me. And here's Jesus' promise to you. If you will trust him in your suffering, you will get a whole soul. Your life will be integrated. You will get the life that you've always longed for but didn't know how to have. You will experience the life that Jesus said he came to bring for you. Let's pray. Father, we come just thanking you for the glorious promise of your protection that sometimes is so easy for us to misread. And God, we come thanking you that it is in your heart to protect us from the schemes of Satan that want us to misread your protection. It doesn't want us to really enter into the remarkable hope and joy and beauty of the whole gospel. But we ask you now, Father, we want to enter into that place. We don't want to come some false interpretation or understanding. We want all of the gospel to fill our hearts and minds. We want the fullness of your protection because we long for that full and abundant life, Jesus, that you said is available when we do. So God, some of us come this morning knowing that there are things that you need to burn off, peel back from us. And that we're going through suffering right now and that's what you're doing. And so some of us today, dear God, are just recommitting ourselves to being in that suffering patient, knowing you're with us. Knowing, trusting God in the gospel that there's something beautiful and glorious on the other side for us. Because you're with us in our suffering. Maybe there's someone here today who very, very first time came to understand that Jesus went through all his suffering so that you would never have to suffer the judgment of God and ultimately be separated from Christ for all eternity. And maybe for the first time today you heard that you matter to God and that he has a plan for your protection and he has a plan for your life, a purpose for you to walk with you in your pain and suffering. And the Bible says in order to do that, to be his own so that you can declare with the psalmist, my God, that all you have to do this day is believe and trust that Jesus' death on the cross was a substitution for you because your sin keeps you separated from God. And if you will turn to Jesus and trust him for salvation, Jesus says, all who call upon my name for salvation will be saved. And all you got to do right where you're seated is call on the name of Jesus. And maybe you want to do that today. Some of us right now are going through sufferings and we showed up today and our hearts were so heavy and we were really hoping that there was going to be a, a quick release valve to get us out. And what God wants you to hear today is he is with you. He is your deliverer. He will see you through. He will walk with you. He will be your comfort if you will run under protection of his outspread arms. So, Father, we come now to worship you as the one who provides protection for our souls. We come to celebrate you. We come to thank you. We come to give back to you through our tithes and offerings. We come to give back our hearts to you. Those things, God, that have maybe need to be burned off where we're trusting in them more than you. We come as an act of worship today, doing whatever you call us to now. Thanks for listening. 
If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9.30 or 11 o'clock services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.